The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. And this week we're going to look at Colossians 9, uh, 1, verses 9 through 14. And uh, I know we just prayed, but uh, we're looking at a passage on prayer, so I figure we should probably pray. Um, so let me pray for God to help us, um, and, then, uh, and then we'll dig in together. Father, thank you for your word. Um, as we just prayed, and I feel so dependent on you, uh, would you let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So, I just want to say up front, I'm, I'm really bad at prayer. Um, prayer is not like something that comes naturally to me. I don't know if you can relate to that, or if you hear we're going to talk about prayer, and it's kind of like a sermon on evangelism, and it's like, uh, and I'm just kind of like sitting in here for like 40 minutes of like feeling really bad about how bad I am at being a Christian, because prayer is kind of like one of those essential things. Um, and it's just one of those things where it just feels like prayer is uh, something we just kind of sit, or maybe you stand, or lay down. There's lots of ways to pray, but generally I'm sitting, and it just feels like I'm just talking into the air. How do I know God hears me? Is this doing anything? Uh, especially in our day, it seems kind of like prayer uh, either feels like we're not doing anything because we're just sitting there like talking into an empty room, um, or it's not really like that fun because it's not like doing anything or accomplishing anything or being very exciting. Um, and it's just one of those things where like prayer is not like, uh, at least for me, I mean, maybe you have this happen. I don't really like schedule prayer because it's so much fun into my schedule. Like I've never had to cancel something or just say no to somebody because it's like, sorry, man, on Monday nights from 8 to 10, I'm praying. I can't hang out, you know. Like I've never had to do that in my life. Um, maybe you have. But, uh, and maybe there's a sense of like with prayer, we tend to have like these inflated expectations of what prayer is like or what it can do. And when those expectations are clearly not met, uh, we just kind of give up. Like uh, you hear about guys in church history or maybe today who like have like these amazing prayer lives and it just seems like everything they pray, like they just like they're walking on sunshine, like they're walking on prayer and like everything just like happens for them. Like uh, there was a guy, George Mueller, um, he's really famous for like uh, running an orphanage in London in the 19th century. And uh, there's a story of him. I mean, George Mueller, George Mueller is kind of like the Michael Jordan of prayer. Like, he just, like, kept making it happen, like, all the time. And there's, so there's a story where he was running an orphanage, and he'd resolved in his life uh, to never ask for donations. So he just totally, like, depended on prayer for God to provide for things. And so there's like these sort of like legendary things. These are true things, but just, you know, they take on like this whole legendary status. So there's a story. Uh, the children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The housekeeper of the orphanage informed George Mueller. George asked for her to take the 300 children to the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew that God would provide for the children, as he always did. And within minutes, a baker knocked at the door. Mr. Muir, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and made three batches of batches for you, and I'll bring it in. So he's like, they don't have any food. And he sits down and prays, and God already knew, and had made, prompted this baker to make bread for them. So then, you know, the story goes on. Soon there was another knock at the door, and it was a, a man. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. 
the milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed, and he asked George Mueller if he could bring in the milk, and he brought in 10 barrels of milk. It was enough to, f to feed or to give drinks for 300 orphans. So, like, you read stories like that, and I'm just kind of like, <laughs> and I'm just going to give up. Like, there's like, I can't pray like that. Like, that's not, um, that's not what my prayer life looks like. Um, by the way, if that is your prayer life, uh, we can talk afterwards, because... I can add a couple things to your list. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, so you get those sort of stories or you get those sort of expectations or you just have those sort of kind of like drudging feelings about prayer. And so then you wonder in this letter to the Colossians, which is a church just like ours, a relatively small city in the shadow of a big city, uh, people living lives, meaningful lives, but still kind of like not like the most flashy lives. Um, people besought by just the normal circumstances of life um, and facing just the sense of like, does, do I matter to God and does God notice me? And so you have Paul like starting out this letter and then he throws this like, gigantic prayer right at him and, and says, this is what I've been praying for you. And so as we're trying to learn from this book, uh, the question really is kind of like, why... Um, if prayer is, I mean, I think it's universal to say that prayer is just kind of like a hard thing for the Christian life, at least for Western North Americans. Um, why would God put this in this letter? Um, why would he tell us that prayer is so essential to the Christian life um, right up front? And I think, I think that what's going on is that Paul is saying in the first paragraph of the letter, look, Jesus has to be everything for you. And he's provided everything that you need. And then the second paragraph where he's talking about this prayer is really him saying, uh, prayer is how you enjoy that as a local church. Prayer is how you enjoy who Jesus is. And so then I think what Paul is trying to tell us is that prayer is the great work of the local church. Prayer is the great work that we are called to, not because it's the most flashy or the most amazing thing, but because it taps into who God is and the amazing thing that God has done for us in Jesus. And that's the way God changes us as a local church, changes us as Christians, changes us individually and corporately. Um, that it's prayer and not religious ceremonies. It's prayer and not conferences. It's prayer uh, and not books. It's prayer that taps us directly into the goodness of what God has done for us in the gospel. And so I think that that's what Paul is saying here, that prayer is the great call of the local church. So what does prayer do to a church? What does prayer do for us? Um, here's what I think is going on. Um, I, think that the I think the prayer changes us in three main ways, and that's what we're going to look at. And as we're doing these, pr looking through this passage, um, I'm not like a rocket scientist, but I think that maybe prayer is kind of the way to step through this one by one in the application to kind of understand what God's doing um, as we work through it. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage, and then I'm going to pray for us from that passage, just that, those verses, just to try to, in some ways, it's not merely just to try to pray because the passage is on prayer, but because uh, as your pastor, I'm trying to equip us to pray um, and to pray according to what this passage looks like. So, um, so don't feel like you have to like keep like, you know, like, nodding down or praying with me. You can join me in prayer when I'm praying, but just so you kind of have a heads up of what's going on and trying to understand how this passage applies to our lives. Um, so 
So the first thing that prayer does to a local church, so that's kind of our main question. What does prayer do to us? Do to a local church. The first thing we see in verse 9, prayer causes us to know God together. Uh, Prayer, um, Paul is committed to prayer, and he's doing it, um, he's not doing it alone, or up in a cave somewhere, um, but he is doing it with God's people. Um, So you see that in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you see that Paul is, this is a, a comment not just about Paul praying, but he is praying with other people. Um, and so one of the things that's interesting is that he is saying that he does it continually or insistently or regularly. And uh, I remember hearing a story of somebody that uh, commented that, that they um, they would pray regularly, like they would because they took this verse literally, like, pray without ceasing. They're like, well, I just, like, walk through the, you know, grocery store, kind of, like, muttering prayers. And they would fill their gas, like, muttering prayers. And they were, like, constantly, like, muttering prayers. <laughs> because they were taking this verse seriously. Like, you know, like, praying all the time and kind of looking like they needed to be institutionalized because they were just taking this seriously. Now, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. But I do think that what Paul is saying is to have a regularity of prayer where it's just a common and regular aspect of our lives. Kind of like, I'm not eating all the time, but I, I eat regularly. You know, like I, pr- I need to pray regularly as like my spiritual source of food. Um, and Paul's commending that we do this together. Um, and so n- not only is he saying that he does it regularly, um, which is kind of easy to conceptualize, like, okay, you just kind of have like a regular prayer time. But he does it, he's saying we regularly, we continually, we have not ceased praying. Uh, prayer meetings have kind of fallen on hard times, but it would seem to me that what Paul is recommending here is at least some corporate prayer life together. Uh, that prayer together is what drives and fuels and shapes and changes a local church. Um, and so a great example of this is from, uh, from the life of Charles Spurgeon. I don't know if you guys know who Charles Spurgeon is. He was kind of like the rock star of the 19th century, the 19 or 1800s. Uh, in terms of preaching, um, he was one of the first kind of like international preaching superstars because they laid the the line that went from London to North America, and he would preach on a Sunday, and by Wednesday his sermons would be reproduced in uh, Oklahoma. Like it would, so he had like a huge sway, and he was just a great preacher. And um, he, uh, so there's a story of some guys uh, who were like, you know. Uh, groupies or whatever, and they love Spurgeon. So they went to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and, and they just wanted to check out Spurgeon. They're like, this is so cool. Uh, they show up early, and they meet a guy out front, uh, and they're getting to know him and talk to him, and he said, oh, you, do you guys want to see the power engine of the church? I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle could sit like, I don't know, like four or 5,000 people. So, I mean, it was a huge building. And so when I would hear, do you want to see the power engine of this church, I mean, that'd be pretty cool to see. It's got to be a pretty big engine or whatever. So the man takes them. They kind of go down a whole flight of stairs. They go into the basement. He opens a door, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people sitting in this room, probably about the size of this room, uh, praying. It was about an hour before the service, and they're sitting there praying, and he's making the point, look, this is the prayer engine of the church. And the man actually ended up being Spurgeon himself, and even just kind of showing, like, the, the celebrity pastor is not what drives the church. It's actually the prayer life of the church that drives and shapes and what God uses to change a church. 
Um, so the, this is kind of what, what Paul's talking about here, that, Paul, that prayer together as a church is how God changes and shapes the church, and that's what Paul's praying for. And I find it interesting that here is Paul the Apostle, probably one of the most brilliant men to ever walk the face of the earth. Um, he is humbly asking for God to give them knowledge of who God is. Um, he's asking God to fill them with who, knowledge of God's will and um, what God is like. And I think more importantly, what he's asking them for is not just to kind of like for God to give them a sense of God's will for their personal lives. That's certainly what God talks about other places. But here, um, Paul, when God when he says uh, that. Uh, when he's pr- asking that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The point that he's asking there is actually that they would understand who God is and his ways um, and his redemptive story and the whole of scripture. So that it's not just kind of like God's personal plan for your life, which is certainly something that we want to pray for and understand and seek God on. But actually the more important thing is that we would know who God is and know what he's like and be shaped by knowing who, what God is like. It's getting to know this story of who God is and how he persists in, in pursuing sinners, how he persists in pursuing uh, to give help for weak and helpless people like us. Uh, it's in getting to know this type of God that we actually are changed. And that's, we get to know who he is, but then we're shaped to be like him. Um, and that's how we, we tend to think about this sort of stuff anyways. I mean, we don't necessarily think about this, uh, our Christian life this way all the time. But we have stories and narratives about our lives that shape who we are. I mean, there's like good examples of like, you know, how did you get engaged? What was your marriage ceremony like? What was graduation? You know, like defining moments of our lives that kind of like mark, you know, major moments in our lives. You know, graduating, getting your degree, uh, you know, addiction recovery stories. Like these are all things that we take on and they take on like this narrative force to begin to under- understand our lives and look back on. Um, and there's also negative ones of pain and suffering and trial and tragedy that happens in our life. And these stories take on a life of their own so that they not only help us, they not only the way that we understand the past and kind of what happened in our past, but they also shape and influence how we think about the days ahead. Um, and so what Paul is saying here is that just like that, we need to be meditating on who God is and what he's revealed himself to be, rehearsing the stories of the Bible in prayer. And I know that sounds very strange, but it actually happens a lot in the Psalms. And I find that in my own life that as I've struggled the most, if I were to kind of analyze, you know, why am I struggling? I mean, the circumstances are hard, sure, but it seems like I'm just losing my mind and just totally not connecting with reality. I often find that it's because I'm just really not rehearsing who God is in prayer. I'm not praying about what God's done for me in Jesus, what God's done and revealed himself to be in scripture. And, uh, and I think that that's how God wants us to grow in some ways, is to meditate on this God who is merciful. If we want to grow in mercy, do we want to be more compassionate? Do we want to be more loving and more kind and servant-hearted? We look at the story of how God's been that way to us and how he's been that way to people in the past. God was merciful uh, to save people out of destruction, to not let their sins define them. He was merciful to pursue them. He was kind to continue to love them. And so when Paul says, since we have heard uh, so, um, that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as we learn and understand who God is in the Bible, 
what he's revealed himself to be in Jesus specifically, we begin to have this narrative and this story that redefines how we think about our lives rather than our own interpretation of the, of the world around us. So let me pray. I, so just so you guys, we're, we're going to pray from each point just as we're trying to work through the text of like what, what's going on. So just so that everybody's not like wondering what's going on. <laughs> so let me, let me pray for us from this and then we're going to look at the second, passage, second point here. Uh, so the, what we've been looking at is prayer causes us to know God together. Um, so let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you are all powerful and rule all things. You're holy and also merciful, which is good for us, since we're in desperate need of mercy. Uh, we can't change ourselves, but you can. You've sought us out. You've saved people from Egypt to show us your power over all kingdoms and over all darkness. You generously gave your people miraculous provision in the desert to show us that you care about our daily needs and eagerly desire to provide for us. Father, you continue to pursue us even when we, uh, even when uh, the Israelites walked away from you over and over and over again, just like we do, uh, to show us that your grace never gives up and that your salvation depends on you. Um, It doesn't depend on us. We can't trust ourselves, God, but we can trust in you. Oh God, over and over again, you showed mercy to people, and then you sent Jesus, the King of mercy, to pursue us, the purest, and to give us the purest display of mercy. Father, uh, help us. We need your mercy. Uh, we long to see your mercy and your kindness in the Bible more, uh, more clearly. Uh, we ask that you would give us more of Jesus and more mercy in him. Amen. So I hope you guys don't feel kind of lurched around. We're going to keep moving through the text. Um, our mantra for right now is that we're a church plant, so if things don't make sense, it's just because we're a church plant. You know, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so, so the second thing we see in this passage is uh, in verses 10 through 12, uh, just the beginning of verse 12. So let me read that for us. Uh, so he's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So Paul is praying that they would not only know who God is, but that this knowledge of who God is in Scripture would shape who they are, and then that shaping of who they are would lead to lives that glorify God and please Him. Uh, we're certainly not trying to please God to earn anything from Him, but we do want to please God because we want to be like Him, and we love Him. And that's what Paul is holding out for us when he's saying walking, and that's just kind of a biblical term for like the whole of your life. Uh, the whole of your life is viewed as a journey with God, and so you can talk about your life as a journey with God, walking with God, um, your story with God. That's what he's viewing, and he wants our lives to li- be lived in such a way as to intentionally aim at giving God pleasure, to please God. Uh, and so he's going to talk about these, he talks about four things, uh, bearing fruit, uh, growing in knowledge, uh, strength, and giving thanks. And so we're just going to look at those real quick. Um, to try to understand what does Paul just kind of lay out as like four characteristics of what it means to live a life that pleases God. 
Uh, so the first thing is bearing fruit uh, in good works. Um, last week we talked about this, uh, well last time we talked about this image in the first paragraph where Paul says that, um, that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing through the whole world. Which is really Paul kind of pointing back to the creation narrative and saying, look, what God started back then and was destroyed by sin, he's redoing in Jesus. So in Jesus, he's looking to bear fruit, and the gospel is going to produce this fruit and the glory of God throughout the world that God originally intended. And so here, he's praying that fruit for them. So that as they're connected and now in Jesus, this creation narrative of, of, a, of renewed earth, of a new creation, is beginning to happen in our lives through Jesus. Um, so that we're bearing fruit that glorifies God. Fruit of mercy and kindness. Um, but what he intends uh, is for this fruit to be in every good work, which really just kind of covers everything that we do in our lives. Uh, everything that we do can be a good work, uh, from you know, nursing to air traffic controlmen to you know, being a mother or a father or being a worker or being a driver or you know, everything that you do, it can all be a good work because that's a moment, a place where God's good uh, the good grace of God can produce good fruit for Jesus. Um, so it's, it's not just like that we have to give up doing fun things and kind of do all these like rigorous, hard, good things, you know, in the end they'll turn out okay. It's really the intention is that God will be glorified in everything that we're doing, every part of our lives. And that's an intentional part of the gospel's work in our lives. Um, so that instead of being like a begrudging worker at, at, at our jobs, or having a bad attitude, or just getting, you know, kermuffled about everything, um, we slowly learn to be uh, loving and kind because uh, of looking at the loving and kind God in Scripture. So, so the first thing is bearing fruit in good works. Second is growing in knowledge. And I think simply what he's saying here, uh, growing in knowledge is simply just getting to know God more and more. You know, I think it's interesting that uh, even in Paul's day, uh, people were slow growers, and they just didn't get it just like today, like, I just don't get it sometimes. I just don't get what God's doing or understand who God is in Scripture. And here's people who, like, actually saw Jesus, uh, potentially, or uh, at least knew the Apostle Paul, which would be pretty sweet. Um, and he's praying, look, I know there's just going to be times that you're just not going to get it, but God's merciful and patient with us. And actually, a fruit of the Spirit in our lives is just to continually get to know God more and more. Um, so this third thing is strength with all power. And so the, God gives us grace for all the strength, uh, for all the areas and weakness and struggles in our lives. And he talks about actually, uh, I, f I find it comedic, but then incredibly true at the same time. Um, strength with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Uh, and so these two phrases, these two words, endurance and patience, um, the, the funny part to me is that um, it's just so similar to what we experience today, where endurance would be the trials and difficulties of life, so that's not incredibly funny, but the impatience is really just like, we're just a bunch of numbskulls and we need patience together. Like, I think that's the, the aim is that the endurance is for the circumstances of life, and patience is for the people in our lives. Um, I know that you guys are going to need to have patience with me, especially as I grow in being a better preacher. <laughs> you guys are going to need patience with each other as we're growing as a church together. You guys are going to need patience with um, circumstances outside of your control. 
uh, you're going to need to have endurance when that trial gets when life gets hard. And I think that that's incredibly helpful. That life is just going to be hard sometimes, but the patience and the endurance that we get is actually connected directly to the power of God. He talks about. He says, may you be strengthened with all power, all the, all the areas of weakness in your life, all the things that would cause you to have struggles, um, all the things that are just pure exhaustion. So that the phrase, uh, all kinds of power, all the power that God could potentially have or possibly have, he wants to work in your life according to his glorious might. So there's this picture, the, just this glorious picture of who God is. That God is glorious and powerful. He created all things. He speaks the world into existence right now. That very God wants to give you the power to endure the trials and difficulties of life and then have patience with each other. Which that certainly gives a lot more oomph to, pr- to patience with each other than just kind of like gritting your teeth. And then the fourth thing that he talks about uh, a life pleasing to God is um, giving thanks to the Father. Uh, I think that there's a sense in which Paul is potentially picking up on this fact that like, we kind of get to-do focused and trial focused and trouble focused, and that a part of praying uh, together and a praying uh, and a life that's pleasing to God is just being thankful. Like, God, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for all that you've done in Jesus. And I've seen this in my own life. I. Uh, I had a pastor once observe that I tend to be more focused on the things that are lacking and the things that are not there than the things that are there, the things that God's already doing, the things that God's producing by his grace. Uh, And I think that 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 was a helpful correction. And along these lines, that look, a a life pleasing to God is not seeing all the things that are just missing in my life or not happening or not growing or changing or happening the way I want them to. Uh, A life that's pleasing to God is grateful for the grace that God's given us in the days right now. Grateful that God saved us in Jesus. Grateful that God's brought us together with other people that we would otherwise have no business being with. That God is uh, continuing to use us and loves us. Um, I find that a grateful heart is an evidence of God's grace and it's more difficult to find than a a begrudging heart. But I think that, so what we're talking about is, um, is God helps us, prayer helps us please God together. And so, I know that I've kind of been talking about these characteristics of what a life looks like, but what does that look like to, why why does it have to be together? Um, And the image actually that I find really helpful is our sequoia trees. And I don't know if you guys know sequoia trees. I've actually never seen them in person, but they're out in California. Uh, so you see this guy right here, man or woman, I can't tell, uh, but in re- re- relationship to the trees. Uh, have you, has anybody ever actually been out there? You guys? Yeah? Man, okay. I'm totally missing out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so sequoia trees, there, there's incredible mammoth trees. And so there's a sense in which you could say, look, there, there's trees. They grew out, of, they're, they're growing, just kind of like growing and bearing fruit and growing in knowledge and they're strengthened to, um, against the elements. I mean, these gigantic trees, I mean, have certainly withstood a, a, a gigantic amount of weather. And, um, you know, and so then they're, uh, you know, I don't know if the, 
the Bible talks about trees giving thanks to God. I mean, they don't actually have like megaphones, but they certainly, like you see them, I'm sure, especially the guys that have seen them in person, you want to thank God for creation and how amazing the world is when you see these sort of things. Uh, so there's certainly a sense you could use that as the illustration here. But there's actually, I think, uh, the secret sauce on this is actually um, in the roots of sequoia trees. Do you guys know anything about the sequoia tree roots? You guys have seen them? I mean, I, Jeff, you do. So. Uh, so let me just kind of read a little bit about them because it's incredibly fascinating. You, do you guys? Well, I know they, they go very low deep. Yeah, so, so, here, so the thing about this, the roots for the sequoia trees is, um, so let me read this for you. Within the first two years of growth, the root system be begins to branch out more and more thickly as the tree grows larger in its lateral development. So it's like the side, you know, going out this way. I always get vertical mixed up. So this way, the, ver the lateral uh, development is just beneath the soil, surf soil surface that continues most strongly. Eventually, the roots of the trees reach out uh, 100 to two, uh, 150 feet, and in some cases may reach out more than 200 feet. That means that some large sequoias extend their area of influence, so that's out this way, through four square acres of land. Uh, the most, uh, the giant, uh, most of the giant sequoias' root system are made up of tiny little thread-like uh, feeders that spread out uh, from the larger roots at the base of the tree. Now, most of the large roots uh, is likely to be more of like, you know, about three feet big. So there's only a few of those, but then most of the roots are these little tiny things. And then this is the point that I think applies to what we're talking about. The entire root system is likely to be within four to five feet of the soil of the surface. So we're talking about just, I mean, like I'm almost six feet on my best days. You know, so like these gigantic trees have these huge root systems that go laterally out and they connect and interlock and hold on to each other. And that's how these huge trees, now just to give you perspective, these trees uh, can be like 20 to 25 stories tall. And like the largest building in Manchester is 20 stories tall, like the, the two largest. Um, the largest buildings north of Boston. Uh, so can you imagine like these trees, uh, the, these 20 story tall trees, or more are held together by a root system that's no bigger nor no deeper than I'm tall, you know. And, and the application I think is just simply that our prayer life is how together as a corporate church, together praying together, is how we begin to interlock our lives together before God and enjoy His grace together. We interlock our lives together in prayer, trusting for God, receiving His grace, and growing. I think to grow into these gigantic trees that give glory to God. Uh, but it's not because we, we get to be this, so, this cool solo Christian. There's no such thing as a solo Christian in the Bible. Christians are intended to live together, and we, we're bound together, and we enjoy that binding together in Jesus through prayer. So let me pray for us uh, from this, and then we'll look on uh, into the third, third thing from this. So... Uh, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we long to please you. We want to make you happy with our lives. We want to do things with our lives that are good and truly good. Uh, we want to grow to know you more and more. God, we want to know you. We want to know your grace and your strength. We want to be strengthened by you, by this power that upholds the universe, God, that you would love us to give your power to us. Or would you strengthen us to endure trials together? Or strengthen to be patient with each other as we grow together. We want to be a thankful people, God. Would you make us thankful, 
happy, grateful, thankful for all you've done in our lives, thankful for all you're going to do in our lives, thankful that you pursued us, God. We weren't looking for you. God, thankful that you sought us out. We don't ask these things to gain your affection, uh, but because you love us, we ask to know you, to know your love more. We ask to know your life-changing power. God, help us to pray together that like the sequoia trees, that we would be bound together in prayer before you, that we would bear lives, uh, live lives that bear fruit for you, to glorify you. God, would you do this uh, because you're a great God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the uh, third thing here then. Uh, just just going to close out our passage then. So picking up, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul starts out this whole passage, this whole prayer, talking about I want you to know God. I want you to know who He is. And then he talks about this is, knowing God leads to living a life that pleases God. Um, and then he returns again to who God is in the gospel. I just find it fascinating that Paul is not trying to pray, not trying to take them into, all right, now let's dream big dreams for God, let's dream big visions for God, or let's get into these impressive programs for God. No, let's just return to the gospel of God. Let's return to enjoy who God is in the gospel. And so he tells us three things about who God is uh, and what God's done for us in the gospel. Um, so God, the gospel qualifies us before God. He says, uh, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you for you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. How do we know? When we start up, you know, look, prayer is hard. Like, how do we know that God's listening to us? We're just kind of sitting in a room talking into the air. Like, how do we know that God hears us. Not only do we, how do we know God hears us, but how do we know that God wants to hear us? I mean, because, I don't know about you, but like, I'm like not like the greatest guy during the week. Like, I sin, I struggle, I have weaknesses. I mean, why would God want to spend time with me? But in the gospel, God has transferred us. He, he has qualified us to know Him. When Jesus came and lived a life that we could not live, he lived the perfect life in, in total communion with God forever. The Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This Jesus is the one that lived the life that we could not live, who loved the way that we could not love, who obeyed God perfectly in every way. And He, out of love for us, died by love so that He would save us from the wrath of God. He died so that we would then receive His righteousness, receive His perfect holy, holiness, and receive His standing before the Father, that we would be accounted like Jesus and have full access to God, so that we could come and knock on God's door, sit in the chair with God, and talk with Him, not because we're so great, but because Jesus is so great. But we're qualified to come to God because of who Jesus is. So He's qualified us to... Enjoy God's presence. And the second thing, God, the gospel delivers us from darkness. I mean, the reality is whether you are intimately aware of like, the really deep, dark things of the world, or you're currently experiencing those things, or you have a life that's just really not, like, it hasn't been marked by much darkness. If you're not in Christ, you are ruled by darkness, 
Now that could be a polished up darkness, or it could be like a real gunky darkness. But you're ruled by darkness. But when you're saved and you trust in Christ, God transfers you out of that darkness. He reaches His hand deep into the darkness, wherever you are, and He lifts you up by the mercy of Christ. He transfers us out of that darkness so that we are no longer defined by it. Whatever that darkness, however that manifested in your life, maybe that's addiction recovery, maybe that's um, you know, trying to be a good enough person for God. Whether it's like overt, like, you know, like red leather sins, or it's just kind of like, uh, you know, like white collar sins, whatever it's going to be. Uh, those things are no longer, those are darkness ruling your life. And in the gospel, God changes you so that those things no longer define you. And so then the third thing he says, he delivers us, he transfers us into the kingdom of light. Transfers us by, into a kingdom that is like a floodlight of God's mercy and kindness to us. He transfers us into a world where we are defined not by who, the darkness that once ruled us, but we're defined by this pure, good light, this clean and good world that God has made in Jesus. In Christ, there's freedom from all the sins and darkness that would find, that define us. Uh, in Christ, we have freedom to enjoy God with, fr- with, uh, with happiness. We have freedom to be happy about whatever th- that is going on. Um, we have the ability to, to enjoy uh, fellowship with God um, because of what God's done for us. Uh, and I think there's a reason that Paul camps out here. He starts with who God is, he talks about our lives, and then he goes back to the gospel. I think, this is just my guess, but I think it's because uh, we so often forget to go back to the gospel with our lives, to trust in who God is, and to, to celebrate what God has done for us in Christ. We don't get to, you know, even with this church plant, we don't just kind of like rush into, oh, let's just like make this thing get off the ground and like make it happen real fast. Like, we're just going to take our time. But we're going to trust and get to know who God is and love Jesus more. Um, like he's revealed himself here. And I think that we're going to do that. I think that we remind ourselves who God is, what God's done in the gospel. Uh, we enjoy that together. We enjoy the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, we enjoy that together through prayer. Um, how often do you pray? Just pray over the gospel. God, I was once far from you in darkness, ruled by Satan and my sin. God, you and your mercy reached down and saved me, not through some spiritual hocus-pocus, but through the actual life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who lived on my behalf and now is alive in your presence on my behalf. We enjoy uh, these realities in prayer. And uh, maybe this is a bit of a disjointed sermon with going back and forth from looking to the passage to try to pray together. But I think this view of prayer, um, that it starts with God, it lays out God just kind of like the normal needs of life. God, I want to be bearing fruit for you. I want to be grateful for you. Um, And then it goes back to the gospel. I think it makes prayer accessible for people like us who are weak and maybe not so great at prayer. It makes prayer more about who God is and less about my performance. Um, 
it gives us confidence in prayer so that we can come into God's presence and know that what maybe it's been a few days or maybe it's been a week or two or months since you last prayed. Your qualification to come into God's presence to pray um, isn't based on your track record of prayer. Um, your qualification to pray and to enjoy who Jesus is is because of who Jesus is. And it's Jesus plus nothing to get you into God's presence. Um, and I think what God also has for us in this passage is that we get to enjoy this together. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to pray with God's people. God sent his son to die for each one of you. And then he put you in the same room together and he asked you to know him together. Like God went out of his way to make this happen. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to pray together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this in prayer, but then what we're going to do is we're actually going to pray together. We're going to, we're a church plant, so, you know, we can kind of do what we want. We, um, but we're actually going to break into groups of like three or four people, and we're going to put some points from this passage up, and we're going to pray uh, together. I'm just going to put this right into action right away. And um, so we're going to pray through those points. And then actually uh, another point of prayer is just this last week we had these horrible shootings um, out in Oregon, and a sister church of ours um, is actually in the city where that happened. Uh, thankfully, uh, nobody in their church was affected by the shooting. But um, the elders of that church have sent prayer requests out, and uh, we want to pray for them. So what we're going to do, we're going to pray in those three to four groups, and then um, we're going to pray for the, four, the, the points, and then maybe, uh, maybe Jeff can come up and pray for us, for, uh, for our sister church um, out in Oregon. And... Um, and then we're going to we'll receive the Lord's Supper, and then we'll keep singing. But I'll, after Jeff prays, I'll take it from there. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, you've accomplished so much in Jesus. God, we thank you for what you've done in Jesus. God, we thank you that you have mercy on weak and sinful and needy men and women like us. God, the whole story of the Bible is about Jesus and what you've done in him is truly amazing, God, that you would pursue rebels and make them sons and daughters. Lord, that the, the dying Son of God would still on the cross plead for mercy for us. And so God, as he is raised from the dead and living at your right hand right now, Lord, we come with confidence because of who he is and what he's done for us and we thank you, God, that we're no longer ruled by darkness and that we're no longer ruled by uh, the sad realities of the world. Uh, but, God, we are ruled by the joyful, living, breathing, uh, faithful Son of God. God, we ask that you would help us to know you, to enjoy you, to enjoy the goodness of the gospel together, that we would enjoy the freedom of life in you, that we would enjoy free access to you, to lay all of our burdens on your shoulders. God, would you give us your spirit right now that we would experience the, pre the pleasure of praying together as we pray through these points? Would you meet us um, that we would be bound together and know you and love you and live lives to glorify you together? Uh, for Jesus' fame and for his glory. Amen. Thank you 
for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.